You're listening to episode 93 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Simon Jones. And I'm Steph McKenna. And this episode is coming out on Monday the 18th of May 2020 and is being recorded in Norwich. So today, Steph, is the first day of City of Literature. It's City of Literature week. Woohoo! So ordinarily, this would be when the Norfolk and Norwich Festival takes place in Norwich, which is a kind of month-long extravaganza crossing all forms of art and delivering amazing stuff out on the streets and in the parks and in all the theatres and different venues. But that, of course, has been completely derailed by coronavirus. But not to let that stop us, we decided to go ahead with City of Literature, which is our literature strand of the festival, and deliver a kind of streamlined digital version of it. And uh, what have we got coming up today, Steph? So today is the big reveal of A Delicate Site, which was an event and a project, an exhibition actually, that we were going to host this year at City of Literature. So A Delicate Site was uh, a project that the visual artist Sam Winston started back in 2015. He created a blacked out studio to make art in and spent some time living and drawing without any kind of sight. So in total darkness, creating images which were informed by sound and touch and writing. He then approached a group of writers, including Max Porter, who's the writer of Grief is a Thing with Feathers and Lanny, uh, Bernardini Varisto, Ray Antrobus and Don Patterson. And he asked them to take part in their own darkness residencies. So they each spent a period of time ranging from uh, a few hours to overnight in complete blackout and created art based on that experience. And now it's time for everyone else to get involved. So we're presenting a lot of Sam's work from when he was doing his darkness residency. We've got a, a really great 20 minute film about the experience. We've also got a fantastic interview with Max and Sam together on the podcast, which we will introduce shortly. And then there is an opportunity for you to take part in a guided activity led by writer Jared McGuinness. So he's recorded a great audio track for us, which invites you to explore your own creativity by using some of Sam's techniques uh, and create some art in the dark. And then it's your opportunity to share your work with us on social media or by email using the hashtag City of Lit. So this is really exciting. The whole project was made possible with support from Arts Council England. So we're very grateful for that. And we're very grateful to Sam and all of the writers who are involved. So the original intention was that people could have come to Dragon Hall and directly experienced this kind of blackout box, right? Yes. But obviously with that not possible, there's various ways you can kind of simulate this at home. And if you listen to the podcast coming up with Max and Sam, they talk a lot about how it kind of influenced Max's writing when he was in there and other forms of art that he was experimenting with and just how blocking off one of your senses creates such a a different experience moment to moment, which can inspire all kinds of new creative outlets. So what's coming up later in the week, Steph? Because this is a whole week long program of events we have going on here. It is, yeah. So we're working with a lot of the writers and the speakers who are going to be at part of Norfolk and Norwich Festival. Um, and they have come up with an amazing amount of content for us. So throughout the week, each day we'll be releasing new content. We have some tea time reads from literary critic LRP Wakatama. We've got Holly Ainley, who is the book buyer and manager at Gerald Books, and Joe Hedinger, who is the bookseller at the Book Hive. And those are two independent bookshops near us. We've also got a great piece on discovering the joys of neighbourhood nature from Patrick Barkham, who's a very well-known and celebrated nature writer. 
We've got some more podcasts in the works and we've got some interactive activities as well. So our NCW Virtual Book Club, the first discussion on Thursday the 21st of May is coming up shortly. We've teamed up with the Poetry Exchange podcast to deliver some one-to-one online chat sessions with them about a poem that has been a friend to you. And we've got the big reveal of our next international literature showcase. And this is Owen Shears, author, poet and playwright and professor in creativity at Swansea University. He will be revealing his 10 inspiring writers, asking the questions that will shape our future. That is a packed week of stuff. It is. I'm very, very excited for everyone to experience it. I've been spending the past week uh, going through all of the content, making sure it looks pretty. And it's just it's some really fantastic stuff. A lot of people have drawn from their own personal experiences of lockdown and how lockdown has shaped their reading and writing uh, and the way that they consume art. And I think they're, yeah, that some of it is really great kind of escapism and some of it is really great food for thought. Yeah, all of these events and all the material is completely free to access. We'll be putting it up as the week goes along. You can find all of the content for City of Literature at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. As Steph mentioned, the first big book club discussion is coming up next week. And if you want to get prepped for that, you can find out more on the website and also join the Discord community, which is our new area where writers and readers can get together and have a chat about all things, especially useful while we're all stuck in our houses. Okay, so now it's time to have a listen to Max and Sam talking to each other about Delicate Sight and where the project came from and how Max got involved. So I'll hand over to Max. This is a conversation between Sam Winston and Max Porter, hosted by the National Centre for Writing, to discuss this project that Sam's been working on called A Delicate Sight. My name's Max, and this is Sam. Hi. Yes. So, Sam, it's lockdown in the month of May 2020, and I am in Bath, and you are in London, right? Yes. Are you in your studio? I am in my studio. Fortunately, it's um, a very empty studio, so I get to the space is still, yeah, available, which is good. While we were just sound checking then, I could hear the sound of masking tape being stuck and unstuck, which is a sound I associate with you, because the first time we met in person was in your studio, and you always had a roll of masking tape in your hand, (laughs) uh, blacking out something or taping down something or unblacking something and I wondered whether you would just give us a little tiny bit of history about this project and how it started for you before you got us involved and before it became a delicate site yeah absolutely um yeah hundreds of meters of masking tape over the years um and yeah it it it, I guess on first approach it sounds quite an unusual project um for initially a visual artist to start closing their eyes and drawing um like you know denying the most available skill that they have is looking and I was I had spent a few years doing that as part of your general drawing practice so I think uh, I can give a fairly concise background to it in the sense that I all ideas happen from a place of um, having no idea why you want to do something ultimately and then after the event for me I then look back and go got you okay so this this was about something specific and Mm -hmm. the sort of the hindsight is the bit that's important. So 
you know, it started off really goofily, just actually putting on a blindfold and drawing things and not knowing what I was drawing and not knowing why I was drawing it. And that and that is always the, the start of any creative endeavour. It starts in blind, gut, gutty sort of hunch, going in that direction and see what happens. And then it does become this thing which yourself and other writers and all sorts of other creatives have been involved with. Which is, but did it did, did 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 the closing your eyes come from a sort of, as it were, the surrealist position of automatic writing, wanting to liberate yourself from the kind of from the sort of overthinking of your visual habits or what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The overthinking of visual habits. I didn't have I didn't have as um, clear a framework as that. So two two very fundamental things happen. Um, when you draw with your eyes shut is that you spend more and more a, a longer and longer prolonged amount of time in a particular state of mind which is what is the, what does this look like without you actually seeing it so you're, you're being a bit more disciplined maybe to your interior experience mm. so often especially in uh, perhaps you know the last hundred years in in western art we've got this thing where there's there's a real focus on um, the object and the outcome, and the 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 sense of discipline to your interior experience is wishy washy. It's kind of like I've had an idea, or I've been inspired, or I've been touched by, and and I I just felt like that that was not a good enough answer. And having a bit more sort of like you know a bit more discipline towards like well, what is the interior experience? What where do ideas come from? And right. rather than just you know, groping around in the dark, actually investigating this as a as a landscape. And is is was that related to, or does it does it has it become related to you to to um, spiritual endeavors and sort of philosophical adventures that you've been on? One of the things that really happened is that I realised that yeah, sure, in a lot of Eastern but also kind of Western wisdom traditions, there is this you know, uh, there is uh, an acknowledgement that the interior world is equally vast and as important as the exterior world. And that for me was like of, of great importance. And I thought, and there was, there was also to tie in where yourself, Max and other writers came in was that on my door is there's, I don't know when I wrote it, but it said sick culture, sick artist. And I think one mm. of the things that happens to creatives that are exposed in the creative industries, notice the word industry, is that they begin to reflect some of those things. And I, and I thought the combination of like giving creatives a space in which they can address the interiority of their experience in a safe space, which involved closing your eyes in this particular instance, was something really valuable. And that's when I started talking to the Arts Council and I started talking to people like yourself. So can I just, before we go in, um... Uh, sort of micro level on on the experience of of writers in a dark and artists. Can we just stay very broad for a second and uh, about that idea that of the sick culture, a sick artist in a sick culture? What yeah. do you think is the like you 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 are, you're presumably relatively entrenched in your position that artists and writers are are part of the sort of uh, collective lifeblood of a civilization? You 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 fight for art in that regard, do you? In in a kind of uncomplicated way. So there's a there's a there's a line that I thought was really interesting in The Economist maybe earlier a couple of years ago, which was like the world's most valuable resources is no longer oil but data, mm. and that that to me was like oh that 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 you know it's almost like take a minute to think about that. So oil is the byproduct of a you know the fruit of oil is climate change and wherever we are with that data. What is data? 
Mm. And if you're in the quote unquote creative industries, or if you even work in the attention economy, yeah. These oh, are, I don't like that turn of phrase, but yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, no, it's of course these are all triggers for me as well. But to to, to communicate, you're putting yourself as, as a creative. You're you're having you're having a relationship with this, whether you like it or not. And yeah. that and that to me is where I got this idea that maybe um, this kind of like focusing or refocusing of the interior experience is more important than this kind of like looking towards. Um, either the art object or the published book or the product the, yeah. the product and that's a really hard thing L- listen to the language again and I hate this language it, that's a hard idea to sell yeah, right yeah. so I'm not trying to sell that idea my, my, my ultimate aspiration is to engage with our culture because our culture needs help we need help I need help you know and that's yeah. that that's the root motivation for the work yeah and that 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 oddly makes it both a very specific project but also one with universal potentially re- universal repercussion like it, it, as a practice this could be mapped onto any culture anywhere in the world it's about the human being in relation to the space around them and and, and the sort of degree of of sophistication or um, exploitation or whatever that exists in the specific culture industry in which these artists are working in is somehow less important than the, than this than the beautiful simplicity of your of your invitation which is do you want to go into the dark yeah I think so that's I, when I came along because people it, as a writer people are endlessly sent to me would I do I want to do this do I want to do this sometimes there's a price attached sometimes not would I lend my name to a thing would I would I would I collaborate you know the, the whole but the, the, the sheer shock of someone saying to me would you how do you feel about doing nothing Yes, I for a little bit of time, <laughs> and it was, and I love that phrase, as in, like, can I invite you, Max, to just not do anything, and can I commission you to do nothing, and mm. uh, and yeah, just again, it's another moment where it's like, oh, and why, why? So my question to you, in that sense, is why did you say yes? Um, well, because I like you. <laughs> Thanks. I said yes because. Um, you are an, a visual artist whose work is incredibly uh, wordy, to, to, to put it bluntly, um, and I'm a wordy artist whose work I hope is incredibly visual, or certainly springs uh, um, in my creative practice comes from a, a visual place, and arose, you know, the only reason I am a writer is because of my dissatisfaction with my own ability to, to make images, or my sense that when I was making images, I, I wanted to be using music, or when I was writing, I wanted to, you know... A, to, to me, the hybridity and, and, and indeed a kind of inbuilt attack on the, on the siloing techniques of, of the industry that we're talking about. You know, the fact that we have to separate um, literature from art, from, from performance, from, um, from image making and all these things has always seemed to me something I'm pushing against every single time I pick up a pen or, or a pencil or, or a musical instrument or whatever. So I immediately felt you were onto something. And then I, I think that um, partly because of the the sense that, I mean, my writing career, I mean, I can speak about this in quite practical terms. Uh, my writing career was um, an accident. I didn't expect it to happen. I had a job which involved being inside other people's books and thinking about books in a sort of 360-degree way as, as objects to be sold, but also as intellectual property um, to be perfected, but also as... Um, as the kind of transmission from one soul to another, which I was humbled and, and privileged to be able to work with as an editor, you know, someone else's ideas, someone else's vision. Um, but that meant that I had at any one time about 30 or 40 different books in my head, 
as well as the relationships that come with the human beings that make that work mm. in a kind of almost therapeutic sense but certainly in in, in, a, in a, a rigorous working relationship way um, plus I have young children um, plus I had my own work going on. so I felt at all times completely swamped um, by and here's the here's the ultimate kicker for words we don't like by content <laughs> in yeah. the sense that some of this content some, some becomes monetized and some of this content becomes uh, as it were training or practice and some of it needs to be discarded and some of it's what I'll actually use to put food on the table for my children to eat um, so I was profoundly concerned with this sort of busyness and whether it was good for me and whether I was going to make good work and whether I needed to speak to someone about my sense of overloadedness and uh, guilt and, and the things one carries around anyway unease about um, the industry unease about one's own privilege unease about um, the ways in which ideas are transmitted in, in this culture particularly the way we think about art the way we exploit the most vulnerable all this stuff that, that one carries around and so the very simple invitation to go into a, a space where I wasn't requested I wasn't on the clock I wasn't working and I wasn't immediately required to create something that was going to be judged according to a pre-existing aesthetic or, you know, e- like frankly, even emotional criteria. I wasn't expected to come out and, and tell you how I feel according to any vocabulary I already had. Um, it was a very enticing, alluring, and, and it seemed to me at that time, and still does actually, the more I think about it, really quite a radical proposition. And my first unease, I think we've spoken about this, was that it would be it, that it that it would be indulgent somehow. Yeah, that who am I to be given this 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 break, this time off to think? You know, when there are people starving and there are, you know, the NHS is in crisis and we have a, you know complete political meltdown and a chaos in our care, bloody blah, blah. You know, yeah. all the things that might make one think that it was it would be inappropriate to spend this time in the dark. So, I suppose that's the thing. Uh, to go back to you, when you invite people into this, they probably each bring. Uh, yeah, I, I, a, 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 a sort of a, a worry bigger than the others, and that was my worry. But have you felt that everyone brings a different type of worry into the project with them? Yeah, we had Bernardino Aristo, Don Patterson, and Raymond Antrobus all going to the dark, and I think <clears throat> all of them. I guess I was just reading all of you at the time, and all of you were speaking in such a varied, such varied voices that I thought ultimately the dark is a blank piece of paper it's exactly the same thing we might have some different connotations or prejudices about what we think the dark is but ultimately it's nothing um and then we project our stories onto it so i i wanted to find people that you know sorry to project onto you but just like oh yeah max you know addressing thing themes of grief and loss and those areas and that actually is something that is pertinent within that space and then mm. someone like bernadine talking about her experiences and her lived life and the the things that she's particularly interested in that was also you know equally it well just as equally as important and i i just wanted to it's just having the trust to put that in the space and in response to the sense of indulgence, and this is where it is hard, because ultimately it is uh, um, any creative act or any sort of arts practice, to make it, you have to create a vacuum, you have to have a blank page, you have to have the time, you have to have the space. Mm. Um, and that is always going to be at the cost of, but people's lives uh, are being lost, and there's yeah. more important, there's bombs and there's wars and there's more important things. And mm. that, it, it, in one um, framing, that is completely right. Mm. Yet at the same time, none of us saw what was happening to our culture before, say, something like COVID. And we didn't see. So 
culture and how we respond to that is massive. And I guess, I guess my personal thing, and this comes from being dyslexic as well, is that to make, I've had to, to, to be an artist, I've had to really sort of hack away at space, uh, at, at a form like the studio is a physical manifestation of that. Um, my meditation practice, all of those are, and, and when I look around, uh, going back, and I'm a bit stuck on this phrase that oil is less of a commodity than data. What data is, is people's attention. And people's attention, if we're not paying attention to our attention, there's some incredibly clever, intelligent, well-educated people that are paying attention to what we look at with our eyes and how we operate in the world. And if we don't pay attention, they will, and they will take that attention in whatever purposes that serve them. And you can look at, you can look at the FTSE 100 and see which companies are the companies that are doing really well with our attention. Mm. And even though we're currently in a climate crisis, um, if oil is now less of a value than data, fill in the gaps. So, it, it, and yeah. yeah, that's a long way away, or is it? I think it's right now, and and I think that these are the questions we all took into the room with us. That given that we're in this COVID thing, and I, I wondered what you, where you, one of the, the the kind of things that seems to rear its head in an increasingly conservative um, environment for culture, um, and I worry that this is unfortunately due due to the kind of the priorities that are that are developed or, or a dying capitalist system. Um, structures itself around that culture will suffer and that even even the fundamental decisions of you know i've got 20 pounds left in my pocket do i do i support my local theater group that are going to go bust or do i or do i support a refugee charity you know where where, where are we how, how are we going to deal with this as 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 consumers apart from anything else um where do our priorities lie and obviously governmentally culture is often very low down the list and i think that rides hand in hand with a kind of anti-intellectualism in this country um, almost philistinism about about the creative act that increasingly certainly since the 70s and 80s the idea of things being pretentious or indulgent has sort of reared its head again um, and very often hand in hand with with things like misogyny or or um or you know other forms of bias um and that one that's that, that our bias is in, is one of the things that's being monetized by by as it were the data companies or Whatever. So the the simple act of of saying no, I make art. I am going to make art. We need art. We need an avant garde. We need to put writers in positions where they're not just churning things out like performing monkeys. They're discovering things about themselves. That's a very generous thing. But it's funny that it would come that you would invite writers into that space as an artist because I can't think of many people that are writing that are inviting writers into that space from the writing culture, you know, from the from the publishing industry. Mm. You know, I remember when Ellie Catton won the Booker Prize, she set up a foundation which gave writers time to read. I love it. With no product required at the end. Nothing Mm. needed to be delivered at the end. It was just to allow people to develop themselves through reading, which I thought was an incredibly generous. I think there is, I think there is, I think there's, so it's a mixed bag, isn't it? So if you are giving, if you're trying to take care of creatives, then with that comes a responsibility for the creative to actually make sure that their work meets an audience and, and an audience that needs it. Mm. So writers working on writing, um, authors, uh, we can get into these silos that you mentioned. And I think the idea, so if you are given that opportunity, um, then there is that thing about, well, what what bears fruit needs to be able to be working at a lot uh, with a with a with a group of people afterwards that mm. that 
it will be of benefit. So there's loads of questions around that. I think also I kind of like um, one question for you, Max, is that, you know, I said, oh, can I can I um, can I commission you to do nothing? You said yes. But then the next bit, which happened with all four of you, was like, well, how much nothing? Mm-hmm. So on a practical note, uh, what, 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 what were your, you know, you're going well, we should to explain a... what, yeah, we yeah. should explain what happened, shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe you want to give a sort of sense of how yeah. consistent my experience was with everyone else. But I drove across um, the Mendips, <laughs> met you in a strange prearranged location, like something out of a Jeffrey Household thriller. <laughs> um, and you had blacked out a room. <laughs> and I, you, you were very, a big part of it for me is the kind of man, is the sort of Beckettian performance of it, which I find very charming and very funny. And I always want to include in the documentation of the, like same way as in my books, I want to include domesticity, clumsiness, guilt, you know, yeah. <laughs> all the, the sort yeah. of nice trimmings. I thought it was really charming the way you guided me in. Um, you explained how the blindfold worked. You explained I could knock on the door if I needed a drink. You helped. You gave me a little rehearsal to help me get to the toilet. Um, you showed me where any sharp edges were, and we discussed in advance whether I wanted some paper on the floor, whether I wanted a desk, etc. And that alleviated a great, uh, like what could have dominated the whole experience for me was kind of spatial anxiety, and you just removed that immediately, and just so I, I, I had my bearings, which meant that the shock of suddenly not having my bearings at all, in a kind of slapstick sense of like walking into the table, even though I knew it was right there. Um, I mean, I spent the first five minutes in the dark laughing at how dark it was. Yeah. As you say, the goof, the goofiness of the project is just really, Almost. really, really yeah. interesting. Like you feel like such a plonker, and then you and then you feel like a plonker again, yeah. and then you bang into it, and it, it, it's it's um, <laughs> it, it really it sends you back to childhood in that kind of like I guess almost blind man's buff type. No one's looking, so like it doesn't matter. You know, it really mm. doesn't matter that I'm making a fool of myself because because this is a this is a situational artifice whereby we're all going to be making fools of ourselves and yeah. no one's looking, you know, big brother is not in this room with me. And I think that that was a really refreshing aspect of it for me. Mm. The absurd is really beautiful as in, um, yeah, it is a really stupid thing to do without a doubt. And yeah. it's, it's, it's that stupidity and that playfulness and that willingness to be that word again, vulnerable, because what yeah. you're doing is you're giving up on your primary source of information. And I think, yeah. you know, going back to that first question of like, what were you doing? Why would you do this? Is that I, I would basically, I wanted to see if I could get into a place where I was vulnerable again and actually see mm. what, see what, see what was there in that space and not really have to do anything with it, feel, mm. feeling secure and feeling safe, but just giving room to it. And that, mm. and that is, that's so important at the moment, as in like, we, we do fill we do fill our time with a lot of stimulation and a lot of eye based you know the screen culture is massive so just yeah. even doing a small you know whether it's a detox or reduction or removal of that is just it's 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 goofy it's also hard work it's not it's not it like to to draw or to try and think because i remember what you, you you was when you were trying to think you took a pen and paper and to write down some ideas and you were like oh that's out the window yeah immediately yeah yeah I, I mean I even I even sort of thought what subjects I might be writing on I think I suppose I mean it's interesting that Don Don's Don's an interesting person to put in the dark and I really like the interview you've done with him because he he is concerned in the dark with what it means to be a poet 
Yeah. And I think I, uh, and I, uh, I sort of thought I'd be more concerned in the dark with what it means to be a writer, like what it means to make a mark, what it means to, and I was immediately much like almost like ecstatically much, much more interested in what it means to be a body, yeah. you know, what it means to be as tall as I am and have bad knees like I have. So I can't actually get down on the floor or, you know, the first thing I started doing was drumming on the table because I was just like, oh, wow the acoustics of a, of a single body in a black, you know, it was all much, it was all incredibly bodily for me in a way that was probably undoing months and months of, of sort of obsessive thinking about, um, as you say, about what's on the screen and my primary way of reading the world. Uh, yeah. So in a way, that's the greatest gift for me is, is those first five minutes mm. and the thinking and some of the writing and some of the drawing I did in, in the rest of my time in the dark was interesting and generative and it's, and it's grown in the months since I came out thinking about it and it's become a part of my, the way I think about marks on a page um, and the way I think about myself in relation to my family and various, you know, it's been a really, it's been a really productive thing for me, but th those first five minutes thinking, as I say, and I, I do keep thinking about Beckett, but that's the sort of shock of the body and the kind of the weird currents of humiliation, bravery, absurdity yeah it's very it's very interesting few moments how did everyone else deal with it so we've done public exhibitions and this is partly what this what we're chatting about is that there is something online where we've written guide a, a, a darkness guide which is basically a very playful and creative introduction into sort of exploring not just you know darkness but exploring a way a, a way around screen culture like a, a way off away off the attention economy and trying to cultivate that as something which is both nourishing and you know inspiring for creative practice mm. and when there's just such a tenderness when you come out and that's true across the board uh when bernie came out at first she started talking to me and i was like oh bernie don't don't worry you don't need to talk to me just go for a walk and then like like a week later, she sent an email and she was like, oh, thanks for letting letting me off. As in mm. like, she didn't say that phrase, letting me off, but she she showed appreciation that she didn't have to talk. Mm. And there's there's a, <clears throat> the, the title of the project, A Delicate Sight, is literally, it's always there and it's always available to us, but it's so pronounced when you come out and your sense comes back on after, like in the way that if you fast and then you eat food, the food, the first meal is just exquisite in a way that you can't explain. When sight comes back into your eyes and you see the world, there's something about the transience of sight, the vulnerability of your experience that's really, yeah, the best thing I can do is just step back and let the person kind of sink into that a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that, that happened that happened to all, all the four creatives in the way that that happened to everyone else that was doing it. And you, you've been in the dark for much longer periods. What, what, what's the longest you've been in? Uh, I spent a month in the dark, which is quite extreme. Um, I, I think that partly goes back to me trying to have a bit more of rigour and discipline around exploring the interior landscape so to be able to do that people think well i just mentioned the word discipline but actually to be able to do that you've got to be incredibly soft mm. like the the level of both playfulness absurdity funniness mm. and um and receptivity to kind of like having all of these different parts of yourself turn up and and the thing that i want to be cautious about is like it's less about the extremity or the length and it's much more about the um it's much more about 
this this in some ways this is quite urgent in some ways that we are we are living in an age where basically what we turn our minds to we have to pay attention to our attention and and you know it's, it is a quite a strange time we're in with covid and in some ways you know there's reports of people really enjoying nature again because that's the only thing when they go on their exercise they can see the natural world and there is a wonder to it uh, but then in other ways we we we're, we're running even deeper into the to the screen as as a way out and i oh, think yeah. and i think that i well just check in with your experience just check in does that make one happy personally at the moment i haven't I, there's certain things online that are good but uh, but generally speaking it does feel feel quite agitated and that and that's what that's what the invitation is is to learn about a little bit in a really playful way learn a, bit, a little bit about what our attention does and how it works and the way you do that is you hang out with it. You make friends with it. You're like, hello, or imagination. You know, again, it goes yeah. back to the opening point is that, you know, we often go, oh, I've had an idea. And it's like, well, can we look at that, please? Before we get into the content of it, you've had an idea. Where did it, you know, did, did it, was it a download? Uh, and like, you know, was it in the soup of your unconsciousness or bubble up? How did it bubble up? Was it more of a fart or was it just like a little pop? You know, all of that, sorry, <laughs> but all of that stuff is just like, well, can we, what, why, why is that whole interior landscape so sort of evocative and moody and troubled and worrying and like, really? Come on, let's be adults about this. Let's just come, let's just, let's just dip our toe in the water and have a look around. As in it's, it, it, it's actually, and I had to do this interview a while ago. It's actually the guy was saying, it sounds terrifying. And I kind of wanted to say, actually the outside world um, the the myths and the monsters and the and the demons that we create in our modern world that are very psychological. Like I can't stop thinking about Donald Trump. Like he is a person, but at the same time, the obsession that he has created psychologically within the this species is also it's kind of like a bit. Um, it's a bit extreme. Yeah. And, and and actually the interior world is less extreme than that. And and, and that's the yeah. thing, that's my gambit. Most people, I don't know whether people buy that idea, but from my experience, and I've spent maybe about 800 hours in darkness from my experience of these two worlds, I would say the um, augmented screen world is a far more, there's far more demons in that space than there ever is in our own interior landscapes. Which brings me to the sort of social implications of the project or ambitions mm. which i'm obviously very keen on because i i you know, because i want i want um i want culture to be out there on the streets meeting the people meeting the children um wu-tang is for the babies sam um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. so i want to know um because i think these are profound things that people uh, the, the invitation of people to consider these things is is useful and important and particularly for people to consider them past their gut reaction which is uh, sounds wanky or Oh, right. Yeah. Like being blind, you know, not, you know, we want them to think a bit harder about the, the project. And mm. one of the ways to do that is to take it to people. Mm. Um, so can you just talk a bit about the Arts Council and the, and the traveling exhibition and what your experience was of, of members of the public going into the dark? Sure. So basically, the, the conversation with the Arts Council was like the idea of switching off the idea of a digital detox and the idea of creating a space where people don't have to really do anything. Or, and this is kind of maybe an, a good conversation with Raymond Antrobus as well, is you're talking about ability and disability. Um, and from, a, from 
my dyslexic experience in school was very much about disability and learning that within that experience of either grief or loss or or identity politics in the culture or disability within that there's something really useful but it just needs a bit of holding so people can kind of explore it rather than react to it and that's so that's so important reaction you know the reactive response is is far too common and that contemplative responses are our are, are thing so anyway with the arts council we basically we built a space initially at the south bank center and we had it up for maybe five or six months in the poetry library which is a, a beautiful space to it's a library it's that space where people are already dropping down into kind of a, a sort of like quieter mode and we with the poets emily berry um george surtees and kaio jingone we basically made an installation where people went into the dark and initially there was the poets texts and then after that they sat in silence in the dark and actually just hung out and we had maybe about 2,000 people go through the space and we also had this comments book which I would say like one in every 30 or 40 comments were like oh that was you know there was a scary bit but generally most people reference childhood most people reference a sense of innocence and a sense of ease there's something that happens when the eyes are shut down that it's actually that it's slightly hypnagogic in the way that just before you go to sleep there's this very sort of like oh i'm half dream oh that's a dream that's a these are dreams are oh, these are these are free associated thoughts all blurring it together and and that and that space is 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 partly so we've been we made an installation and it's you know it's in lockdown the installation's in lockdown but when it's out we'll definitely be doing something at the National Writing Centre and we'll be doing something. I find it extremely Barbican. exciting that, that it was opposite the Houses of Parliament for some reason. I think of like, of the re, you know, we think of the great relearning that may have to, that we, we hope may occur or the great rewilding. I love the idea of a kind of collective rechilding where we... Oh, where beautiful, we, rechilding. We, well, you know, where we kind of, we, 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 we sort of unmask the fallacy of progress or the idea of growth or the yeah. kind of, or the sort of weird mannerisms of modern, you know, the modern body politic, especially the kind of absurdity of of, of the chamber of of all those men shouting at each other and shouting over the women and in denial of their bodies and in denial of the reality of what the what the modern life is. You know, this strange antique farce. I love the idea mm. that there is just this very quiet, very subtle enlightenment happening on the other side of the river where children are being reintroduced to themselves through the darks. A gorgeous thought. I, the rechilding is lovely. Um, re- we, hang on, because I interrupted, which is yeah. a habit of mine, and I'm sorry. I want to go back to the National Centre for Writing, the, the mighty, the mighty Dragon Hall in Norwich, yeah. our, yeah. our generous hosts today. And 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 what's the plan up there? So so um, initially we're gonna there's a it's an hour long experience which people book into and there's a film made by the great filmmaker Anna Price and then there's your good self and Bernadine and Raymond and Don Patterson uh, have all contributed beautiful texts diverse texts as well and that forms part of the experience I'm not going to say what because it's a bit of a reveal in the dark type thing so there's uh, and then we built an installation in which people but there's a physical into- element there's some there's some Absolutely. As between not, printed matter not, and human yes, beings. Not only are we talking about the embodiment of the human, we're also talking about the embodiment of the object, moving away from... So the, the idea that objects can have power and the idea that objects are experienced not just through the eyeballs. Shocking that it is. 
that you know and i don't want to go to this is a well-trod area of the book 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 as object mm. um and but at, at the same time giving you know what is it to hold a book in the dark and that's what when i was yeah. in the dark i spent a long time with one of um you, you your guys books and i was holding it and laughing to myself saying i've got no idea what they're saying but at the same time your mind can't help but make up what they're saying and then i'm just like so who's writing this? I've got an object, it's a book, and it has got words in it, and it's got a narrative in it, and it's very valid, and it's a great story, but my head is already 100 miles down the road in kind of yeah. like how it ends. So yeah. so where's the writer? And that and that's just so rich. That's such a juicy area. Um, and it's yeah. a gift that we should be, we should be, we should be playing with and, and, and celebrating. Cause, I hope yeah. so, and, it, and, and it's so refreshing to me that it, you're, you're the you're the Pied Piper for this process because it cannot be the publishers who are the, you know, the great copyright, copyright barons. And it cannot really be the writers themselves uh, in a public space because this is the, this is the creative endeavor. The responsibility is necessarily private to do that thinking for yourself. So be, to be invited to in some ways, take, take that into a public space and make it a collaborative enterprise with both the public, but also with the sense, the sense of the, the book in the physical Yep. in the physical world it's very exciting I, I i guess my hope for it is that there will be going back to what i was saying earlier about being an editor i love the idea of the kind of a sort of secular confessional space um with with a kind of mutual appreciation that the written word is important and as is as is the work of art um and that the kind of meeting in the dark between an editorial figure and and, and a writer or between a you know in the same way as like the transference in, in a kind of psychoanalytical context might occur so with yeah with your so I think one of the things in in approaching you is that you've I can sense by looking at your output you've really you've really struggled with silos you've struggled with but and Don mentioned something similar in the sense that um you know he talks about being a musician he says something like I'm not a musician or I'm an okay musician but you know I'm also a poet and there's this thing that I see in many creatives that, that there's this sort of like slight mistrust with the label that's been afforded you even though that is the place in which you receive your you know living I have finally after two years um found it comfortable to speak of myself as a writer and 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 the way that occurred was not through having more work published or put into the public sphere or selling more work it was through collaborating with other people and my part of the process being being word based that's it's as simple as that like working with musicians artists graphic novelists actors um theater film all sorts of all sorts of projects on the go and my contribution to them is that I send language and I don't send it in any fixed form I send it to be pulled apart and discarded and turned into something else but I have finally accepted this is a thing I can do and I like doing it and I grow every time I do it so every time I every time a musician sends back music and I respond to words I feel I'm defining for myself why it is language is my is my chosen tool and I and I don't mean that that I don't mean I'm only writing. I mean that, for example, every time I draw a picture and work out that that picture isn't quite getting at the thing I want it to get at, then I need and I need language. Um, or I try a poetic line and I realise that poetry is is too precise or too exacting for what I'm doing, and I need prose. Or you know, any of these working decisions have helped me over the last two years. And, and the dark was a big part of it of realising what it means to make a mark 
why I'm not alone in the why I'm not alone in the dark. You know, one of the things that I came out thinking was that I am the whole thing about the, the community of of Marx made, um, and you know, and, and and every Mark being a political thing. I'm I'm very much um, uh, less afraid these days about stating and speaking publicly about about the political uh, environment into which we all write. Um, and and what it means to say yes to a thing where you're given one microphone without saying, "Hang on, can I have three more microphones for other writers to speak with me on this subject?" You know, those the sort of decisions we make about judging work, sharing work, buying work um, is is comes from this sort of um, yeah, from the from the stillness and weirdness of um, and starkness of realization that you get when you're on your own in the dark. So basically, what I'm asking is, can I go in again? Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think what you're also asking, or I'm presuming what you're also asking is how, you know, and this, it, I don't, I, it's hard not to sound pretentious with when you start talking about nothing, right? Because, because nothing is like, oh, I don't get what nothing is. But everyone gets what a good night's rest is. And that's nothing. You know, that's when you're not on. Uh, and everyone gets when you say, oh, embodied, it's just kind of like, uh, I don't know what embodied means. It's like a good meal is embodied. Yeah, you know, make, m- making love is embodied. They're all embodied things. They're like the literal manifestations of this stuff that we're talking about is sleeping, eating and loving, you know, and there, there are more ways than that. And I think when you say, can we, can I go again? It's just like, uh, it, bless you, you identified some really kind of nourishing and creative qualities within the experience and, and everyone had different experiences within that. And it's how do we create a cultural, how do we create the cultural containers? And the National Centre for Writing is, is, is a fantastic place in which it is held. And I guess the question, and this is semi-rhetorical rather than you have to answer this, is how, how do we as a culture get into that space and how do we create more spaces where people feel they've got a sense of trust and ease in which they can unpack their creative practice? Exactly. Well, I think one of the ways we do that is we take the writer off the pedestal we take yeah. we take the work off sale. We, we we think more about the gift economy. So I love the idea that the National Centre for Writing is is an open doored place, yeah. and that this and we are we're not saying um, we're not saying go into the dark and have an epiphany and create work or even meet meet a famous writer or anything like that. Uh, like what I what I most like about it is the kind of is the whatever the opposite of of um, the sort of the pretentiousness of of the staged public art event is. Yeah. Um, making it humdrum, making it normal, you know, and also making it um, joyful and and, un, and and sort of um, not po-faced. Yeah. Um, you know, in the same way as, you know, I always when you go into schools and talk to people, they're, they're, they've all been told to sit there and cross their legs and have their questions. <laughs> and I think what we're saying to people is do this in your own home as well. Like take, take the invitation here, mm. which is to go and, and take some stillness. You know, even thinking the other day, talking to you about, about screen and my children and you know yeah. the whole educational enterprise having gone on to screens and thinking to oneself and talking with each other about the difference between the online experience you know much as i love a zoom it is yeah. not the same and i'm not going to just give all my all my hashtag content onto onto zoom to yeah. support to you know to, to kind of support the transference of an industry away from the bodily because the bodily will come back we will meet again you know we are human beings whether in lockdown or freedom and I think it's really important to think about the ways in which the live art experience cannot be replicated online. And, you know, I, I cannot do what you did for me in the dark. I cannot just turn off the lights in my room and put the blindfold on and sit there. The ritual of it 
being invited in, being guided in, being asked by an artist to think about my work in that way, being told that it was okay to ponder in some depths these things. It, it's, it's, it, it goes, it's laughable to even think of it as luxury, actually. It's just a gift. It's incredibly generous and an important gift. And I think that our, our aim, and I'm, I, I, you know, I'm sworn to helping you as much as possible with this, and I know that the NCWR as well, like, is to spread that gift as wide as we possibly can. Well, without, yeah, and uh, so the two things that, that come, come up is one is ritual, as in ritual is a really powerful thing, and it's kind of got, we've got a lot of baggage because ritual can be used to any end. It's a neutral experience, a bit like the dark, as in, like, you can get stuck in ritual to the point where you can't grow. But ritual is also an incredibly powerful thing in service of a goal. And if that ritual is held, and and I think the I think there's something around um, even you know we're creating a, a podcast and this is an interview and we're talking about that and just questioning the consumptive nature of creativity. I'm going to get inspired. Where are you going to get inspired from? Like where does that come from? Is that a thing that that you you know if I pay twenty pound for this experience, then that's where the inspiration comes from. If I set this experience up by myself on my own quietly and just say to myself, this is important if that's held then you've just saved 20 quid <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. a lot Absolutely. more than that yeah. and, and we're uh, in yeah, the interest yeah. of saving everyone 20 quid right you're, you're yeah. trying to give people the tools yeah uh, well uh, uh, for me like art practice and this might be far too over sincere but art practice is like it is not a, a niche it, it does not belong in entertainment art practice is trying to work out where our culture needs to go because god do we need it as in, like, this is not a time in which we live where, you know, just the the the, the kind of, like, binge-watching of a box set is going to, you know, is going to... Sure, there might be some good content, but do you know what I mean? It's just mm. not a time when we need to be in a place where it's all about returning to familiar, stuck, habitual patterns. There needs, like... Um, and, and, and actually, in the long term, it's what makes people happy, you know. Mm. It's, it's like knowing that you've engaged with something meaningful. And that is where the value is. So the short takeaway is that culture adds value. And right now, value is usually in response to what we are in need of doing. Yeah. 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 But I, what I, I, I'm with, the, the, you know, as I, I know you are, and my understanding of it is limited. But the Buddhist position on this, you know, I remember George Saunders saying to me that the point about the grueling book tour is that one encounter mm. with one human being, you place an idea in a human being's head without knowing you've done so in a, in a crappy reading with four people in a bookstore in Washington, DC and 17, 18 years later, unbeknownst to you that what you planted in that person's mind that day comes to fruition and mm. becomes an act, not necessarily in the positive sense, an act of generosity or insight or, or mm. inspiration, anything like that. But the point is that in, in the great network of living things, off it's gone and that yeah. therefore that's worth doing and that's why we believe in culture and that's why i believe in storytelling across across different traditions and cultures and, and i think that you know the what i liked about the um writing about the dark when i came out of the dark was how often am i how often am i as a, as a monolinguistic um you know box set chuffing you know oaf yeah. how often am i asked to to translate an experience consciously right. from one from you know from from a thing i have no vocabulary for to a thing i have what i consider to be an inadequate vocabulary for that fundamental invitation is the same invitation as saying you know why did rothko choose oil paint you know why why have why you know why did we paint 
frescoes on the walls of our churches you know what why what where the meeting of manipulation inspiration the sheer you know mark making jet the gesture economy all these things are things that shouldn't be um left to left to me and don patterson and bernie everest and ray, ray antrobus to think about mm. or or to artists in their nice in their nice you know masking tape studios i really think that we have a responsibility to take these questions and translate them into different forms and present them out to people to school kids to old people to young people to people that don't speak english the first language to anyone but it's not just you either because what i think and this is what and this is so there's there's a really interesting thing about grief in within all of this so going on the book tour and having that conversation is knowing that and kind of like this this odd thing when you kind of read about the artist like 50 years after they're dead then something about that practice and that endeavor speaks to the time that they were talking to and 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 no from a personal perspective that's a bummer right (laughs) like all that work all that thing and i was saying to hayne earlier this morning i think it's a frank frank arbuck was um a friend of mine ken garland said to frank arbuck he was like your paintings are worth quite a bit of money now and then yeah. frank just went it's a bit too late for that yeah i'm and I, you know i at the time i think he was like i'm i'm 70 i've just sat in this room and i've painted and sure yeah. 30 years on and 40 years on i've got the record but it's just like well that that dream died a long time ago i was yeah. in service of and and just the second point to what you're saying is that it's not just us moving into a space where we take stuff to people there is a responsibility for people to take responsibility of their own practice yeah, yeah. as in like it's not you know, and that don't, this isn't don't get uptight and don't be serious. It's kind of like get looser and get more playful, but yeah. do it seriously yeah, 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 <laughs> rather yeah, yeah. than like, I'm a, I'm an idiot. This is a, this is a crap drawing. And and that's one of the, one of the exercises in the pack that's online now is, is getting you to draw in the dark. And the first thing that happens when you draw in the dark is you realize you're rubbish at drawing because you can't see anything. And that is just such a core practice to understanding creativity and letting go of your concern for outcome Mm, mm. and uh, slightly disappointing to me after spending 20 years including all the years at art school and all of that realizing that my drawings that i do blind i personally think are better than the drawings that i do with my eyes open yeah they're way better sam sorry i should have said that earlier yeah it's it's quite (laughs) it's quite you're like oh there goes 20 years of my life that's a bummer um but that that is you know that's where that is what i'm in service of that is what creative practice is about is is i'm learning we yeah but also we can't that epiphany you know like the best thing i ever wrote i wrote on the back of a bus ticket and lost um that epiphany is something we're inviting people to come in and have for themselves and not necessarily now maybe a year a year down the line two years down the line um, I like the idea, like what you're saying about it not being entertainment. We're not getting people to come into the National Centre for Writing and presenting them with a thing, which they'll go away and go, oh, thank you very much, culture. I took some, I took some you know, I imbibed some culture today. You do get a um, book, but yeah, you're right. There will be that, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's awful. But also, you gave us, you know, you came and you and you brought with you a fully flowing river of different emotional and artistic sensibility that you put into the into the National Centre for Writing. It's it's not a one way thing. Yeah, and I think I think um, I think especially at the, in, in this present moment is just like the the pronounced urgency of actually people seriously looking at how they treat their attention and how they treat 
And I'm not talking about everyone being a writer or everyone being an artist. It's actually the opposite. It's actually just having a, a very basic sense of care about your inner inner landscape. And most people, myself included, explore that through, you know, the music they listen to, the books they read, and maybe the diaries that they write and things like that. And just yeah. treating that as perhaps one of the most important things that they're doing with their lives. Yeah. Well, I'm with you on that, Sam. Yeah. Well, we'd better stop, but um, are there any logistical details you need? Would you like to just talk, quickly talk about the um, pack again? Yeah. So basically... The pack's fantastic, by the way. I didn't tell you. I think it's really brilliant. Oh, good. And, and beautifully done as well. That's Josh. But, it looks yeah, great. Yeah. So we, we basically, because of the time when the installation isn't up and running, the installation will be up. Um, later next year and if you go to a delicatesite.com you'll be able to find information about that. Um, the National Writing Centre obviously is doing some further things with the Delicate Site project and I'm sure they will list that on their site and currently what's live is an amazing film done by um, a filmmaker called Anna Price which is 20 minutes and that has a lot more blacks, a lot of Bernie and a lot of Ray and Don Patterson. So that's available online as is this pack which is a guide to darkness it's it's a very straightforward invitation to tuning out of screen and dropping into some kind of playful exploration uh thank you sam it's a pleasure to chat to you as always thanks for inviting me into the dark thank you thank you max thank you for listening and big thanks to max and sam for the chat And don't forget, you can head over to the National Centre for Writing website to find out a lot more about Delicate Sight and see all the other City of Literature stuff that is coming up this week. If you have any questions or you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writers Centre or over on Facebook, or you can email us info at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. And if you would like to join the Discord community, you can find a special invite to jump straight in down in the show notes on this podcast. Please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast because it does help other people to find it and enjoy all of the City of Literature content that's gone out today. Keep writing and we will catch you later in the week. Mm-hmm.